Well, uh, good morning, Highland. Um, I'm Joel, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure to get to share with you again. <clears throat> We're in the series called Bold, looking at the life of the early church in Acts. And uh, one of the things I took away last week from Jason was this poignant question of, do you know about Jesus, or do you know Jesus? And today we'll be asking similar questions about new life. Uh, we hear that, that term a lot, and so it's uh, something we want to delve into today. But as we look deeper, you know, it seems like it's just language, right? Know about Jesus, know Jesus. But as we look deeper, uh, we find that there's, um, it's more than just a subtle difference in language. The difference is much less subtle. The difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus is significant and speaks to whether or not we really experience this new life in Christ. Today we're looking at that picture, and Becca did a great job of introducing and talking about the new life that was abundant in the early church. And we're going to be asking, what does it look like? What did it look like in the early church? And what does Scripture say that new life in Christ should be? As Jason mentioned, we had a couple of, uh, we had a baby a couple weeks ago, and it was our fourth little boy, little Matthew. He's beautiful. Um, And uh, Jason was really kind and kind of gave me an out uh, to see if I still wanted to speak uh, with having the new baby. And I said, no, I thought it would be good, you know, new life. Maybe I'd learn some some amazing wisdom, um, and maybe the, the opportunity to sit down and think a lot about you know, having a new baby and new life would bring some new wisdom to me uh, and some special insight. It was a good thought. didn't happen. You know, honestly, the, 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 the special wisdom and insight that I've experienced is uh, from the great philosopher Jim Gaff- Gaffigan. It's like drowning and somebody hands you a baby. So that's what I have to reflect on today. Um, but really, that's, that's, how, that's how we felt a little bit. Um, and, and to be honest, it really has been good to reflect on new life. When we got ready to go to the hospital, um, this is our fourth, so it was a little surreal. It was kind of like, okay, here we go again. Um, I don't want to say it wasn't a big deal. It just seemed a little normal. We knew what we were going into. In fact, I even asked Katie if we wanted to park in the same place we did last time, or does she want a different parking spot a little bit closer, perhaps? So we're kind of getting used to it. And I don't think I really well prepared the kids, because we'd been through this before. Um, But uh, when we started to get ready to go, the two older ones um, got really upset. They were sensing the change. This was all becoming real to them, and for us, we were kind of used to it. Uh, One was really worried about the big needle they were going to stick in mommy's arm, which was great. And the other was just tired of having more brothers. <laughs> that ship has sailed, buddy. It is on the way. Um, but for them, they were sensing the change because they've gotten old enough that, that this new life thing was different for them. For us, again, you know, you go through the pregnancy, you experience, don't get me wrong, but we had been through this before and it felt um, a, a little more routine. So I set them down and we talked and I had to think, okay, this is new for them. And uh, everything was fine. <clears throat> But even though we remembered it more and it seemed more normal to us this time around, you can't really miss the miracle of new life when you have a baby. I mean, the baby arrives and it's there. It doesn't go back. Um, I've been thinking, and I've been around church a while, and maybe some of you have, but perhaps new life in Christ is a little bit like that. In fact, we talk a lot about life and we use it in different ways. We use it to mean a lot of different things that maybe it doesn't even. Um, And it's possible, I would say that I've, I've done this, it's possible to lose sight or even grow accustomed to the miracle of new life in Christ. 
Maybe it loses its meaning. So as we look at the picture of new life in Christ, I really ask you to step back and challenge you to try to look at this through fresh eyes. If, you're, if you've been around church a while, if you've been following Christ a while. Maybe it will be uncomfortable. Throw off the numbness that living in our culture has created and ask, what does new life through Christ actually look like? And it's okay if it's uncomfortable. If you look at this and go, wow, I, you know, I don't get that, that's okay. Um, let it be uncomfortable. Uh, because it, it forces us to ask the question about a choice. Is Christ first? I've been reading the Narnia books to my oldest son, Joshua. In one of the books where the children first hear of Aslan, they experience a solemn happiness. He's six, so we had a long conversation about what solemn happiness was. How do you explain serious happiness to a six-year-old? And I didn't do a very good job. Um, So I needed examples and pictures and tried to um, actually act out the feeling, which I won't do um, because I didn't do it very well. Uh, In a similar way, new life in Christ needs a picture And so that's one reason we're looking at Acts. We see what the the believers were. And if you haven't read Acts from beginning to end, I highly encourage you to. You start to feel the wild journey of the new church. It's pretty neat. As we walk through this today, I mean, there's nothing nothing super uh, crazy. I'm going to try to keep it fairly basic uh, to a couple of points. First, what does new life mean? Uh, What does it mean and what what do those words mean according to Scripture? I want to make sure we're all talking about the same thing when we say new life. Secondly, what does it look like? What does the new life of a Christ-centered community, church, look like? What does the new life of a Holy Spirit individual look like? What's that picture? So the premise that we're discussing today is that belief in Christ brings new life. But today, when I say the word life, it may bring to mind different images or definitions. If you Google life, and I did, uh, you get quite a wide range, but most of them consist of people standing on mountaintops like this, or people with their family or babies, lots of really, um, uh, I guess, motivating success and failure quotes about what you're going to overcome and live your life to the fullest, and hooray, you did it, uh, American dream, and um, lots of imagery that, that, that makes you really um, feel like, man, maybe I'm missing this. Maybe if I'm not doing something just amazing, maybe I've missed what, what life really is, <clears throat> well, which is why we don't live according to Google, right? Right? right. Um, so, so new life. Well, let's start very basic. What does it mean according to Scripture? We're not going to look at the culture and talk about new life. We're going to look at Scripture. So let's start very, very basic. Many of you know this, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world... For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So let's just start very basic. When we talk about life in Christ, salvation, new life, it's life after death. It is eternal life. It's pretty clear. We just celebrated Easter, and the message of the resurrection is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and on the third day he rose again. And because he rose again we will be raised as well. Death has been conquered. We see in Thessalonians that since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And those are the words that the new church used in Acts used many times uh, to refer to death was fallen asleep because they knew that life, there is life after death. We have life eternal because of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's a piece of it. But when Christ brings new life, I would 
mention to you that it doesn't just start when our earthly bodies die. In fact, encountering Christ cannot fail to change us because he naturally expels the darkness that is seated in our hearts through sin. And that was one of the pictures uh, I thought was great with Becca and the kids. Sin is in our hearts, new life comes in, it naturally changes us and transforms us and doesn't wait until we die. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, then you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. It's John 8, 12. That sounds immediate, not delayed, right? Follow me, you will not walk in darkness. You will have light that leads to life. Let's go to Corinthians. We see in Corinthians that the new life from Christ begins now, not just after death. It begins now. Have you experienced that or do you just know about it? 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 17. He died so that, every, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who was died and raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. That means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. So this is not delayed after death. It happens now, and it is, it is a major change. Christ brings change. He brings a transformed life. It's also too important to remember why Christ brings a transformed life, what he brings it for. He doesn't bring us new life so that we may pursue our dreams. He doesn't bring us new life so that our life is well-lived and full and generally more. But doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't he want me filled to the fullest, living life to the fullest? Yes, but is it our idea of full or is it his idea of full? What do we consider living life to the fullest? Here's an interesting picture. Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. You know, if you Google new life, you don't see any pictures of anybody living a quiet life. New life in Christ looks different. Life lived to the fullest quietly doesn't sound right. What about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? You know, uh, Paul wasn't directly referring to what our culture takes that phrase as. He wasn't directly referring to accomplishing his goals and his dreams and his visions. He didn't have this grand plan to save the world. He was following Christ. You know what he was talking about when he said do all things? Contentment. Contentment in all things hard or easy. We look at... um, Verse 12 in Philippians, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The transformed new life is Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives me the strength to be content in times of plenty or in times of need. New life in Christ looks different. And if you are a Christ follower, you'll know that such a thing as living contently is not as easy as it seems. That sin that's been in our hearts 
wants us to fuel our selfishness. It wants us to live this new life um, our own way. Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17 saying, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. It's a picture that he knew they wouldn't belong to this world, that they look different. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5.17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. He makes all things new. And the Greek word for new um, isn't, it has a specific use in this case. And, and in, all, in almost all the times where we talk about new life, this is what it means. It means new in quality, kind of like innovation, uh, fresh in development or opportunity, like a fresh fruit, not found exactly like before, different than the usual, better than the old. New life is transformed. It is different than the usual, better than the old. So how does this new life happen? Paul speaks to us, speaks of it throughout his letters, Romans 6, Ephesians 2, 2 Corinthians 5. But the book of Acts shows us how this new life is first given in action. So let's go back to Acts 2. After Jesus was taken to heaven, he asked his followers to wait for the one he would send. As they gathered to celebrate Pentecost, the Holy Spirit arrived. Acts 2, the beginning of Acts 2 says it was like a mighty rushing wind as they began, and they were filled and they began speaking in many tongues. The Holy Spirit showed up in force. He showed up in power, as we talked about last week, and they were filled with life. You talk about new life, we have a very clear picture that way. So Peter, as a response to that, stands up and gives an incredible sermon and presentation on the gospel. And one of the things that he cites is David in Psalm 16. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. And he talks about how Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Why does he say way of life? In some cases, it says paths of life. You see, paths of life, the way of life is one of the master metaphors in all of the Bible, Speaking of the covenant God makes between Israel and himself in the Old Testament, a way, a method, a path where they would be his people and he would be their God. This is a path to life. And Peter is speaking to the crowds here of the final fulfillment of that path in the New Testament. He said, David died, but he was looking forward to this as Jesus defeated death on the cross once and for all. He continues by saying this later in verse 38. Repent, therefore, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise of these new paths of life, is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, that's us, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. So what is new life? It is one, life after death, yes. It is a transformation of the heart, meaning different than the usual, better than the old. New and life mean so many things in our culture, but remember, different than the usual, better than the old. And three, it is given through the Holy Spirit. So life after death, transformation of the heart, and it is given through the Holy Spirit. I want to be very clear here. New life is not maybe given. We see in Acts that the promise of new life is certain for everyone who repents and is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone who chooses Jesus Christ over themselves and has their sins forgiven is sent new life through the Holy Spirit. It's not a maybe. So we, we spoke about and defined new life. Let's look at the picture of it in Acts. 
If there's one picture I want you to remember, it's this filling of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit arrived, he brought new life in force, and it changed what they did. This happens to Christ followers. If you believe in Christ, new life has happened to you, and you've been filled with new life through the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 5, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Later in Acts 2, we see the picture of new life lived out in the community of believers in the early church. And this is one of my favorite uh, pieces of Acts because it talks, and this is actually repeated later in Acts 4, it talks about the new believers as a whole. We hear a lot about the apostles throughout the New Testament, but this is the community of believers, all those who believed in Christ. So let's read Acts 2, 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. So there's four and a half verses about how they were living, and it doesn't say they caused people to be saved or they did all these things to be saved. What it says is the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They lived new life as they were called, and God did the rest. It's a very poignant picture of what we should be doing today. So let's talk through this. What does the new life look like? What is this picture? So verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves. They were devoted. They were devoted to the teaching of the word and to one another and to Christ. Very simple. To the teaching of the word, to one another, and to Christ. It actually says the teaching of the apostles. Um, those apostles' teaching has become our word, the New Testament. So if we translate that, the teaching of the word. There was a blurring of the lines between their time together and their time with Christ. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to go do church now, and let's go hang out now. There was a blurring of the lines. They remembered him when they gathered together, and they took communion. They prayed. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we have today as the Bible. And, and if you're struggling with the word devoted, because you don't hear about devoted a lot in our culture, uh, other words you could use are loyal, faithful, true. So they were devoted. Secondly, they were generous, and they lived together as one. Verse 44, they shared everything they had. We see later in Acts that this doesn't mean that they didn't have possessions. It's not like they said, okay, we're all going to share everything. But, but what they did have, they gave freely to those in need, and they helped one another as they walked together in community. And this wasn't just something they decided to do. John 17, uh, this is a Christ's prayer before the cross, and it's really powerful. Jesus prays for them, the apostles, his disciples. He actually prays for us as well. We know very clearly that the picture he wanted for us. Verse 20 I am praying not only, this is John 17, 20, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. 
Think about this for a second. Jesus prayed that we, those who came after, would be one the same way that he and the Father are one. It's pretty powerful. There's a lot of blurring of the lines here. So when we hear that they were one together and they shared everything they had, it wasn't... It was different. It looked different. It felt different. They acted as one together. This was what they felt in new life. Uh, So they were generous. They lived together as one. They were devoted. And God grew their number. If we look at Acts 2.47, they weren't thinking out, they weren't out thinking ways to increase their numbers. God did the work as they lived new, transformed lives. And we see later in Acts that difficulty and conflict comes knocking on their doors. But they spoke the word with boldness. So this is another element. This is another picture of what the believers had in new life. They spoke the word with boldness. We see in Acts 4 that Peter and John, were after they were released from their first arrest, they were heavily instructed, don't go talk about Jesus. So what did they do? They went back to the believers and they prayed for boldness. Acts 4, 29 through 31. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After that prayer, the the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They asked for boldness. He answered. The Holy Spirit came in force. They weren't asking that they would be saved. They weren't asking they'd be successful. They weren't asking that their visions would happen. They were asking that they would be able to preach the word with boldness for the glory of God. And they were. Let me also say this. The way they prayed was a believing and expectant prayer. God answered, and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the shaking of the place, was a clear answer to prayer. And this is also tied to the way they live. Again, we see in the very next verse after this, verse 32, that their generosity was uncommon and unmatched. So right after they'd been told not to Uh, not to preach the word. They prayed for boldness. They received boldness. And then the very next thing Scripture said is their generosity was unmatched. Scripture says they had everything in common again, reinforcing that a little bit of persecution didn't stop the way they lived. In fact, it enhanced it. And there was not a needy person among them. We continue to see this boldness laid out later in Acts. I'm just going to speak to this. In Acts chapter 6, we see seven chosen to lead in the service of the needy. In fact, they needed seven more people because there was so much need the apostles couldn't keep up. And they wanted to love well through those seven and take care of the widows. And they wanted to also preach the gospel. It wasn't one or the other. One of these men, actually, one of these leaders in service, a man named Stephen, was dragged before the high priest and spoke to Jesus, or spoke about Jesus before them. And their response was to stone him. And before he died or fell asleep, as Luke phrases it, He saw the heavens opened and saw Jesus sitting by the right hand of God. And as many of you know, he became the first Christian martyr. They shared everything. They were generous. They served. And he was martyred. Life lived to its fullest. Different than the usual, better than the old. So this picture of new life, they were devoted. They were generous. God grew their numbers. They were bold. What else? They responded to the Holy Spirit. After Saul sees Jesus on the road to Damascus, we see him with a group of believers in Acts 3, worshiping and fasting. 
because that's what believers do together. Uh, Acts 13.2. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I had called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And so Jason mentioned earlier that we, it's not, we live sent. As a people, we live sent. And that's how these, these believers were living. And they were so in tune that when God called for them to be especially sent to another place, they prayed about it and said, go. They listened to where the Holy Spirit sent them and they just went. They responded and went where they were called. And this was the beginning of God's great plan to bring the news of Jesus to the Gentiles for those that weren't Jews, to us. They struggled with what the grace of Jesus meant to their culture, another picture. So we see in Acts 15, Saul goes out and he preaches the news of Jesus to the Gentiles. And, and, and uh, the Jewish Christians step back a little bit and they go, whoa, we have all these Jewish customs we have all these things under the Jewish law. How do we deal with, with these new Gentile Christians? And so the apostles convene in Jerusalem called the Jerusalem Council. You can read about it in Acts 15 to struggle with how to interact with the Gentiles and their faith. They had difficult conversations. <clears throat> so they struggled with what the grace of Christ meant to them in their culture. They spoke the word of God no matter what. Another picture. Much of the rest of Acts after the Council of Jerusalem is the tale of Paul and his missionary journeys. He's all over the place. It's awesome. It ends with his imprisonment in Rome. Yet that didn't stop him because we know that in his first imprisonment, he wrote letters to the Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He was preaching the word and speaking the truth from in prison and, had, and, and what he did there in prison resounded through the ages. In fact, you could even argue that maybe God put him in prison to slow him down so he could write those letters for us later. He spoke from prison. He was intensely persecuted and most of the apostles were killed. Now, I don't, I don't want to leave you with the impression that all Christians were martyred or even that all of them were sent to all these different places uh, like Paul was as missionaries. They were all sent, and we see that they, they shared everything. They were one together, and God added to their numbers. So they lived sent. But there is nothing in the Bible that leads me to believe that the Christians in Acts, the early church, were not all in. It wasn't a, uh, maybe I'll do this. Let me look in Scripture and see what do I have to do. They were full of life, and in this new life, they were all in. And if God called them to go, they went. If he called them to share, be generous, they were. If he called them to preach the word, when he called them to preach the word, they did with boldness. Let's go back to Acts 2, 46 and 47 one more time. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I just want to say, when I, I read this, I feel the weight. <clears throat> Over many years, we as Christians have struggled with this. We've said that new life in Christ looks uh, just a little bit more than, than maybe it should here. We add so many rules and programs, activities, conferences, and yet we forget the basics here. And it's not, it's not just um, modern church, right? So this is, let's look at Revelation 2. So in Revelation 2, there are letters sent on behalf of Christ uh, through the hand of John to many different churches. 
We see that the, the, city, the church in Ephesus was of doctrinally sound teaching, but they no longer loved well. In contrast, the church in Thyatira loved well, yet they tolerated heresy. Yeah, some that love really well and don't teach well, and some that teach really well but don't love well. Sound familiar? This is hard to do, but it is simple. And yet again and again, the Holy, she- the Holy Spirit shows us great, uh, grace abounding by continuing to grow the number in the name of Jesus Christ. So we struggle with this. The early church struggled with this. They struggle with what the picture of new life is. And if you're struggling with this, or you're thinking, whoa, um, this is a little crazy. That's okay. The early church did. But they loved well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But the Holy Spirit grew. We hear that in the early church, God added to this number daily. Let me show you just a visual representation of what happened to the church over the years after Paul left off. crazy, right? I actually like the music. It feels like Braveheart, you know? Hey, Christ is advancing. But to be honest, he is. This new life in Christ is different. It changes things. Paul was sent. The believers lived together and they lived well. They lived as one. It's pretty cool. New life in Christ is incredible. It's different than anything else. He is calling many to himself And this new life manifests itself even to this day. Van, you can come on up. As we close this week, please consider the simple things we see at the end of Acts 2. Please read it. If you want to read all of Acts, go for it. Look at the end of Acts 2. Look at the end of Acts 4. The believers lived in devotion to the word, generosity to each other, and boldness, speaking the word of Christ. The new life from the inside out looked different. We do have a choice. They went where they were called. Let me step back and say, I don't know where you are today. 
Maybe you're dealing with sickness or death or pain. Maybe you were thinking it's very easy to say and very hard to do. It can be. I would agree. I've become so painfully aware in my own life that the barriers to me living out this way are of my own choosing. Many of us, perhaps me most of all, live in comfort, relative peace, and struggle against our various appetites as the primary barrier to living this new life in the Spirit. So you may be in a hard place, you may be in a comfortable place. <clears throat> but we see what Paul says in Philippians four thirteen: I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to show you a video to give you one final picture. Even today, new life looks the same. Because while we as believers have changed, while Christ has spread across the world into many different cultures, new life looks the same. Christ has not changed, and what he does in the hearts of the believers has not changed. Even today, it is possible to live this new life amidst immense difficulty. And while I haven't experienced that, I'm going to show you a picture. There are Christians across the world who have. Nassim Fahim was an Egyptian Christian killed by a suicide bomber this year on Palm Sunday. Egyptian is a very Muslim country where it is illegal for Muslims to convert. While it's gotten slightly better over the last few decades, Pew Research noted that in 2013, 88% of Muslims still favor the death penalty for those that convert. You can be born into Christianity, about 10% of Egypt is Coptic Christian, but you cannot convert. It's against the law. Many have been killed. And in 2013, 88% of Egyptian Muslims, according to the research polls, were in favor of that. About 70 million uh, Muslims in Egypt. Point is, it's a very Muslim country, very different than what we deal with today. I'm going to show you a clip um, from what is essentially the Larry King of Egypt. He's a talk show host, very popular. And uh, he interviewed the widow of Nassim Fahim after he was killed by the suicide bomber. The millions of Egyptians watch this. He'll be on the left, watch his reaction. Uh, oh, and it's in Arabic, so you have to read the subtitles. أقباط مصر مصنوعين من فولاذ أقباط مصر مئات السنين بيتحملوا كوارث ومصايب كتيرة القبط المصري يعشق تراب بلده القبط المصري يتحمل كل شيء عشان وطنه وإيه كمية التسامح اللي عندكم دي 
لو أعدائكم يعرفوا قد إيه أنتم متسامحين بجد ما كانش حد يصدق ده أنا لو أبويا والله ما أقول كده أبدا الناس دي عندها كمية تسامح عن حق عن عقيدة دول بني ادمين والله مصنوعين من مادة تانية الله يرحمه عم نسيم بطل وشهيد و و و و و و و ومثل اعلى للي قاعد كل واحد في البلد دي يقول لك هي البلد دي ايه والبلد دي ماشية ازاي البلد دي ماشية كده البلد دي ماشية بالصبر بالجلد بالتحمل بالست العظيمة دي بالعيال اللي خلف ما ماتش ضرباهم وعمل رجالة رجالة واو رايت I mean, this is a Muslim country. Um, everybody is. 70 million people, almost 90% Muslim. These people, he said, has so much forgiveness. These people are made from a different substance. These Egyptian Christians love their country well. See how they have affected their country by their love. The picture of new life will not be understood by this world, by this city, but it will cause change. How can the seams widows say this? Even closer to home, how can, it, how, how, how can we do this? How can we... We may not experience this level where we are killed for our faith, but we see now that the love of Christ, that new life lived out, changes things. It causes us to act differently. It causes a young father who a few weeks ago, a few months ago, was walking in the back with his child to say, now I'm about to be 32 and this accident has basically paralyzed me. I get to tell people there is more than life. I can be more motivating. These pictures look different. New life looks different. In the little ways and how they share and they are one together. And in the big ways, how they act in forgiveness after death. As we close, we're going to do one of those things that the early Christians did. One of those new things that, that pictures new life. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together, communion together. If you're a Christ follower, we invite you to join us. Uh, people will be around at the four corners here of the room holding the bread, which represents Christ's body that was broken for us, and the juice, which represents his blood shed for us. If this is new to you or you're not certain, please feel free to just observe. This is a confession of our faith and a reminder of the new life we have through Jesus Christ. If this whole concept is new to you and you want to know more, I'll be over here. would love to talk and pray with you. We'll have a few elders or gel leaders on the side over here as well if you'd like somebody to pray with. Prayer is a big picture of this new life in, uh, in, the, in the believers. So we make the opportunity to practice it here together. Let's pray. Father God, I, I really struggled this week with how to paint new life. Um, our culture, um, of course, doesn't know what new life is. Um, We think it's the power to overcome and have the best life now and all those sorts of things. But Jesus, you came for something more. And Father, I pray that um, 
you will sink deeply into our hearts just a little bit of this picture of what new life looks like for us. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to sit under you, to to live with you. Father, I thank you for the promise that we have new life through the Holy Spirit. I thank you that Jesus prayed for us. Jesus asked and said, they do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent them into the world, I am sending them into the world. Father, I pray that for us. May we be holy by your truth. May we know your word, which is truth. And Father, just as you sent Jesus into the world, may you send us into this world. Father, may new life that we have as Christ followers change Asheville. Father, may you send us into into this world, into this city, into the state, into our nation, Father, because you and your life is different. Father, thank you for your love. May you be glorified in everything we say and do together here. In Jesus' name, amen.